Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the award-winning novel Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series and Pretty Ugly. With me, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martine, author of The Bourbon Books. Cheers, Alison. Today, we are joined with Carter Wilson, who has written seven books, I believe, but he is here talking about his latest, The Dead Husband. Welcome, Carter. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for being on our show. Uh, Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit about The Dead Husband? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I've written seven books. I tend to write psychological thrillers, standalone thrillers. Um, you know, I kind of gravitate towards the dark and the creepy and the paranoid and the uncertain, um, and the emotional and, um, the dead, you know, and I never know what I'm doing. So the dead husband, the idea behind the dead husband was just an opening scene. And I pictured this woman coming back to her family home because her husband had suddenly died and she's with her kid and she's standing in front of this big imposing door of, of this mansion in which she grew up. And that's all I saw. That's all I knew. And I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what happened to the husband. I didn't know anything or why she was so trepidatious about coming home. And that's how I write books. I just, I just start with that opening scene. I spend the rest of the book trying to kind of figure out what that opening scene means. Um, I so, love that. I'm yeah, so it's about her coming home. I'm, I'm toasting to trepidatious, but mm-hmm. also to not having a clue beyond this one scene, because that's so often where I start, where it's like, we will figure out the rest later. So trepidatious. Yeah. You go. Well, that's what makes it fun for me, right? <laughs> like, I, it, it's, and that's actually how I started writing was giving myself a puzzle. So how I write is I give myself a challenge, like, what's, what's the deal here? And every day when I sit down to write, it's a discovery and it's fun. It's, it unfolds. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, and that's the joy of writing to me really. Like it's, that's the, the, <laughs> I, I kind of write for myself. Right. So, and if, if hopefully, well, someone if has to. <laughs> right, exactly. And if I'm enjoying it, hopefully other people will, but you know, I don't really think about other people. I think about, you know, what makes me happy in the moment. Um, and well, and I love that you describe it as a puzzle because I will admit when I started reading, the girl in two A, or the dead girl in two A. I was not expecting that book at all. I was not expecting any of that, and calling it a puzzle is a perfect way of putting it because I wouldn't really even know what else to call it. But I know Lori's comment popped up saying that she is a fan of psychological thrillers and horror here, so she is listening and watching. And I, think <laughs> she needs to read the two books of yours that I just finished, and we will talk more about those as we go. So. Um, and I, I just want to say you are in good company here because we are total pantsers. Um, <laughs> good. I always think, I think probably incorrectly, that mystery writers and thriller writers need to know what's going on because they there's a mystery there. And I'm like, they must know. They must be so much more organized than I am. <laughs> like just this lowly horror writer who's just like, I don't know what's happening. Like, so... Um, it's refreshing for me to hear that as a thriller writer, you don't know what's happening. No, never. And, and what's, you know, I'm more or less known as a thriller writer, domestic suspense, but you know, I will say that the dead husband was closer to a mystery and that poses a challenge for me because I never thinking about like, Oh, I, this has to be solved. I'm very happy. Like getting to the end. Like, I don't know. 
and nobody will know. And that's yes. it. I feel but like because that you this book described the ending of every book I've read written like yeah I, yeah i don't know what that is people <laughs> right. are like well what did the ending mean and i'm like well, what do you mm-hmm. think it meant right <laughs> i'm like yeah it could have meant totally that could be right <laughs> and so this was never set up as a murder mystery but it's kind of packaged a little bit as a murder mystery but to me that's not the important part it's there's just kind of the emotional journey and what happens to these people and you know that's what's interesting to me so well, and my first question, I really just wanted to know who comes up with your titles because there's a lot of dead people in your titles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and here's the thing. When I picked up both of the books, neither one were what I thought based right. on the title, both ha- both having a dead person in the title. I will. I told Jen, I'm like, by the way, 2A is not an apartment number. It's an airplane seat. And I didn't look yeah. at the thumbnail. There's an airplane right on there. I just, my eyes aren't that great either. So it's like, okay, <laughs> it's you don't see there's an airplane there. Uh, I've been calling it the dead girl in apartment 2A. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, no. Oh, no. So the publisher does that. Both of those titles were changed from my original working title because it goes through kind of an analysis and they look at what's in the market that's similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with the covers, the fonts, the the, co- the colors, that kind of a thing. Um, so, yeah. And there's, yeah. Oh, I love cover. it. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, it's not really a mystery about a dead husband, but yeah, that's no. kind of what gravitated towards the marketing of it all. And what's funny is the title that I thought, and it, this might have even been one of your working titles, I would have wanted it to be the Burry Sisters or the Sisters of Burry. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't have been pronouncing it right, but that right. would have been the cover. I would have been like, ooh, the Burry Sisters, Sisters of Burry. I don't even know what that means, but I want to know. Yeah, and- well, that's interesting you say it because my, my original, original working title, which I know is always going to change, was Sisters of Burry. And yeah. so you, so, you it's know, in there. circle gets a square. Thank you. But, um, <laughs> but actually my editor was like, not crazy about being kind of cheeky with the name of the, the, the town, um, in the title. I mean, cause I also had like, you know, what we bury, but Alan Eskins has, has a book called that. Um, so oh, and anyway. shared titles can be kind of a, a pain in the butt. Cause yeah, I have, a sure. who's, who's, she's not even yet on, on submission. And two of the titles that she and her agent have come up with, we just keep seeing other books announced with those titles. She's like, yep. damn it. That one yep. too. Yep. Yeah. That's a challenge. I, I'm working on a book that I came up with the title first and then a concept after mm-hmm. as a joke. It was a joke title, but then I'm like, Oh, that could kind of work. So then my agent was like, don't tell anybody this title. The title's perfect. Just write a book based on that title. And I'm like, <laughs> look, it worked for Neil Gaiman's American Gods. It can work for you too. Yeah. Although I don't think his was a joke. Neil Gaiman. <laughs> I don't think this was a joke to one of his writing partners where the writing partner goes, no, Jen, that's good. <laughs> no, and that's what happened. That's what happened. Stu- stupid idea. Say but you Allison. told me. <laughs> I know. I'm like, you know, I think if I just wrote a book called blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I, it would be a huge hit. And then she was, Allison was just like, can you tell me more about what that book would be? And I'm like, I think you need to write that book. (laughs) Well, and I was going to say, so dead girl in two way, I'm going to mangle that title too. I'm trying not to. Mm -hmm. How close were you to calling it the responsibility of death? Because I really needed that book. Mm, That's a cool book, huh? (laughs) Yeah. It is a cool book. It's a cool book a couple times over. I don't actually remember what that original working title though was for that. I think uh, the orphan list was, was actually, oh, that's a great yeah. title. That would, um, work. that would work too, but that's, that might give away more than something as vague yeah. and kind of ominous as the responsibility of death. And I have intentionally not told Jen almost anything about the book 
and she likes spoilers, but I've said very little about it. But I, I was reading that while she was reading Dead Husband, and we figured, okay, between the two of us, we will have read some of your most recent work. And then I, I ended up binging Dead Husband this morning. So, well, I'll say that two A was a, a real challenge in in what we were talking about earlier in terms of pantsing because I I I didn't know what the hell I wrote a hundred pages of like I don't know how any of this ties together and that was yes. a I'm real sorry. challenging book for me um but and actually when I wrote the dead husband it was almost an antidote to that it was like I need to I want to write something more straightforward more mm-hmm. almost personal um but so they're they're very different stories. One's much more complex, um, and the other one I think is more probably emotional. I can see that. And I was I was telling Jen, I'm glad I read the other one first, simply because I feel like I have a better, broader sense of who you are. And since I don't think either title is what I would have wanted to put these books in, just because I feel like ooh, these I, I want to have these kind of crazy titles that are off the wall. But mm-hmm. I understand that's not necessarily what your editors want because they want to sell. They want to sell the books. books. They, they want to have big dollar signs. But I, I liked that idea, and I, I don't think I would have gotten quite the picture of just your range just from those last two books. Yeah, and I think that's something that I love about my writing, and I hate about my writing is that. No, you're not allowed I, to hate that. I'm cho- I'm choosing to your range yeah. right there. <laughs> Thank you. I, I I think I'm hard to, you know, I think it's hard to say. Oh, that's a very prototypical Carter Wilson book. And I love that, right? Because I like to just broaden my horizons with everything that I write, but it makes me, I think, a challenge to market. I yes, think I was say, that's, you know? yes. that's all on your publicist now. It's all on your marketing team. And they and they do a great job. But I think like, you know, like you said, like I went into this book thinking it was going to be about a, a dead girl in an apartment and it's not that at all. Um, and, and I see the reviews that say that and, and it makes me wonder like about titles and stuff like that, but you know, the, these publishers know what they're doing. Um, so it's, it's, but it's always an interesting conversation for sure. I love the business side of it all. I, it's fascinating to me. God, you're the first author I think we've had on the show <laughs> yeah. that has said, I love the business side of this. That's why I was just well, like, I'm, what? yeah, I, you know. <laughs> And I'm not saying that, (laughs) right. And, and you can certainly begrudge sales and I wish I were bigger or this and that, but I'm fascinated by the mechanisms of the industry um, because I'm very business minded. That's my background. And when I, when I started writing, I'm like, I have to learn this entire industry. I have to understand how it all works. And it's, it's very opaque and I'm still learning a lot, a lot, (laughs) a lot. And, but to me, it's, it's, you know, they're there it's just it's just fascinating because there's a lot of aspects that are just instinct um and then they try to kind of how do i take my instinct and capitalize on that or formulize that and you can't but you can do some things so it's and i'm with source books who's very um data driven which i highly respect so it's you know they really look at what the market is doing um so i i i love all that stuff I'm well, always I'm intrigued. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm always intrigued with um, the industry because they really have to be fo- like fortune tellers. They have to figure out what's going to be hot two years from now and what will be past its prime two years from now. Like the, the agents and the editors, they're just like, they're thinking so long game that it's. Yeah, or, or accepting the fact that they'll never know 
and and knowing how to pivot deftly. <laughs> you know, once the, all of a sudden, you know, some book out of the blue will hit, and they'll be like, "Oh, is this trend worthy, or is it just a one of a kind kind of a thing?" And how do we so and, and scramble. Yeah. And, and as an author, the last thing you ever want to do ever, ever, ever is chase a trend because it's, if you're going to, you know, by the time you finish the book and by the time it comes out, it'll be three years past whatever that trend was. And it might not even be a thing anymore. Um, and, and people do that. And it's, and it's, and it's a shame. You know, I, I, I wish authors would just write what they loved and stuck with that because I think that that's more genuine as a product. It's totally more genuine, but the number of authors who then get told, well, what the market wants right now is not what you're writing, and that there's absolutely nothing wrong with what they're writing, but it's just not what the market wants. You can't blame them for wanting to chase those trends because they're going, I am doing my best product, and I'm getting that what they call the champagne rejections. Yeah. And they're going, okay, so I have to write to market because if I don't, then I'm never going to get to that point where I can be even part of a trend. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no question that it's, terribly difficult to get published like no matter how good you are but i think you know i think the industry isn't siloed enough where if you if you're a solid writer you know probably more than a solid writer if you're an exceptional writer your work will get noticed by somebody and that's the other thing is like i've learned over the years is you want you know you want an editor and a publisher who really is passionate about your work, not like, okay, that kind of fits the mold because you're not going to get any attention upon, you know, release. So you want somebody who really champions your work. And sure. I mean, I've, <laughs> I, I've known a lot of rejection, you know, my oh, first yeah. three books never sold. Um, Sorry. Diane so. is telling us, Oh no, things aren't looking good for my twilight fanfic. <laughs> you're you're about 10 years behind. That'll come back and, around. Yeah. yeah it'll it be retro. It'll be retro. And just like everything right now is like, you know, and then you had a hint of that in Dead Husband. Like there's like this 90s nostalgia that is, is very hot right now, which yeah. I honestly love because I yeah. think like, and that's, that's when I was a teenager. And that's like, a personal choice for, for yeah. sure. Because like right now what I'm working on that won't come out till whenever, 2023, takes place in 1987 not because i'm interested in and not not because that's a hot thing to do but i'm like just personally nostalgic because that's when i was 17 years old and uh you know and i'm like well what's what's this world like without cell phones without access to information um but it's i I love that stuff i love going back in time and you know even even with the dead husband i had to end up uh predating a couple years um because uh, the book that comes out next year is actually, you know, a companion book to Dead Husband, <gasps> and it takes place in 2020, yes. or was going to take place in 2020. I'm like, oh, I can't do that oh, anymore. Oh gosh, so 2020 I, doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, so I blurry calendar year. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I love so I love when things are like backtracked to the 90s because it allows things to still be very contemporary, but it takes away cell phones and instant access to information. And I think. Totally. As an author, that's so much easier to write in if we're not constantly thinking, well, they could just text somebody and right. find out if they were dead or, right. you know. And it, it certainly ups Facebook. the stakes, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you're out in by a lake at night and something's going on. You have no ability to call for help, you know. It, just, it, it cracks me up. I'm remembering a scene from the show Angel where they're down in a sewer and he's just like, 
this never works. And it's just like for the rest of the series, we never have to deal with cell phones. Cause like, well, you're in the sewer, you don't get reception. <laughs> and you don't weigh right. out in the sticks, you yeah. don't in the boonies and you right. don't in the nineties. So right. if you can just kind of remove those, we don't exactly. need that. And right. I'll say you, you set some of your books in New Hampshire and uh, we have terrible cell service here. So <laughs> no. that's, you could write that good in. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, good to know. Like, <laughs> there's a 90% chance that we live, like, whoever your characters are, live in the woods with terrible cell service. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> well, I love that you're writing a companion book to The Dead Husband, and I will not speculate because I want people to read The Dead Husband, so I won't speculate where that's going. I was hoping your next book was actually going to be a puzzle book explaining the publishing industry because it seems yeah. like you've got a good handle on it, and you like puzzles, so... That's a book that's far from being written by me. There's a lot of learning left to do on my end. So um, your writing process, your pantser, do you find that, do you vomit words out? Like, do you just like go for it? Or are you like crafting your sentences as you're writing? Like, yeah, it depends on the scene, right? Like, and it's like every job, right? Some days your job just sucks and you're, you're sitting there and it's data entry and it feels like you're vomiting words just to get to your daily word count or whatever your goal is. Um, and other days, like I'm really connected and I don't know if I'm being necessarily careful about my word choice, but I listen for the lyricism of it. Um, if there's, if there's a particular, especially if it's a particularly difficult scene to write, like, um, it needs to be, it needs to have some kind of harmony to me. I need to, there needs to be a cadence that, that I'm feeling it and it, and it has some kind of pull to me. Um, that's when I feel like things are kind of firing on all cylinders for me but yeah there's days it's just like oh, i know i'm gonna cut all of this but I'm, let me just get something down i'm just uh, curious what kind of day it was when you wrote the sentence the past is a whore because i had to actually <laughs> write that down to not forget it i actually copied that and went i need to ask about that sentence and it goes on beyond that and the person had a point but i just was like yeah i, I like have no name. recollection of writing that sentence Are i remember that sentence but- <laughs> What's funny is I read that and I'm like, oh, I really want to get a tattoo that says that. Yeah, the first <laughs> sentence is, the past is a whore, the present is your mistress, the future is your only true love. And how could you just, the whole tattoo right there, Jen, right there. Yeah. Well, Cardi, you put something under your sleeve, but I don't think that's what that is. <laughs> no, I've got, so I've got Kill Your Darlings over here. Yes. On, a, on an inkwell with a skull. And I have, Actually, this says, and I think, how lucky am I? And it's the penultimate line of a book of mine that was never published. <laughs> and and it's, it's just, I love the scene of, you know, this guy's dying, basically, and he's appreciating his life at the end of it. Um, so those are the words on my arms. Oh, I love that. Um, you also had another phrase that I just absolutely adored, and it was, their family tree was made of petrified wood. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that just like, made I this just was that was a rough family. Uh, you know, that's yeah. that's a family that's got a lot of lot of issues. And and you I know, was I, picturing Patrick Stewart as Logan. <laughs> Were you really? Yeah. Not picturing. Wow, that was not who I pictured. Yeah, that's I pictured more of a barrel of a man than mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart ever would be. And even I just even saw, like, his the eyes and the, yeah, but. I, I guess I just will never not have a fondness for Patrick Stewart. Oh, so I, I could never cast him that way. <laughs> I would just be like, no, Captain Picard, Earl Grey, hot. This isn't yeah, gonna. No, still no. hot, but I was like, play against type Patrick. <laughs> wear, type. wear that suit. <laughs> you wear that suit. 
That's well, when it, when, it, when it becomes a movie, which I'm surely will, then we, we can get into that conversation. <laughs> yeah. We'll casting. do the dream casting we'll later. Do the dream casting. Especially because since who knows when that would happen, you would want someone who would be an older actor. It's not that might die between now and then. So let's. Oh, most of I might die between now James and then. <laughs> no, don't do that. No, you will not. You will not. You're young and vital. We I'm were not that teenagers young. Teenagers in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> we're at our prime. <laughs> So you said earlier, I mean, everybody knows that we're drinking cocktails right now. Mm -hmm. Cheers, cheers. And you said, uh, normally you start to, this is right when I start to write. So are you're a nighttime writer or an evening writer? Evening writer. Yeah. I mean, I only write about an hour a day and I write usually between like five and six and you know, everything I do is goal driven, right? So if you, if you make everything goal driven then you don't have to do a lot at once, and so I, you know, I, if I write 500 words a day, seven days a week, or, you know, the editing equivalent of that, I can get a book done in 10 months, you know, assuming I know what the hell it's going to be about, which is the big, you know, <laughs> it's I a don't big know. assumption right there. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if I were I to have a solid idea about where the book is going, you know, the writing part is I built that muscle. That's pretty easy. Um, so I don't need a lot of time to do it every day. Um, what what's problematic is if you fall behind on that, and all of a sudden I've got to write 3000 words today. That's, that's exhausting for me. And I think I, I, I don't think I service the book very well when I try to just produce a lot. Yeah. Um, because I think then it's just like a lot of the words suck. We've talked to different people and everyone has a different approach Oh, for sure. And, and I know one of the things that's hard for me is that I know I need to be in a certain zone to write. Otherwise, I can have the document open and it will be like, look, I am typing keys, but nothing is actually happening. And anything that does happen will need to be removed later anyway. And not everything that people do, like I know people will say, well, okay, if you're, if you're digging ditches, whether you feel like digging ditches or not, you just get out there and dig ditches. But the ditch doesn't care because the ditch is just a ditch. And I can do, I can do dishes. I don't dig ditches, but I do dishes whether I feel like it or not. But if I don't feel like writing, anything I come up with is just not so great. So for, for you, yeah. how, are, are you a dig helps. ditcher? <laughs> a, a dig ditcher? I can't. Well, so what, what happens to me is I don't think about my book almost ever until I sit down and, and write every day. So it's not in my mind. It very rarely is it, I mean, thinking about it. So yeah, there are those days when I'm like maybe working on a house project or whatever that I'm really into that I don't want to stop and write, but I do. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, this is not going to go anywhere because my mind is t elsewhere. But I hold myself up in a little room and I have my headphones on. I'm listening to thunderstorms and I start rereading the last few paragraphs and I, and I might sit there for 15 minutes and do nothing. And then kind of, you know, the seeds start to <laughs> start to grow. And, and it might be those last 15 minutes of that hour that I write 500 words. Um, and other times, you know, uh, the other thing I do is I try to like leave off, stop writing when I'm really excited about what's coming next. Um, that's important to me. You know, that always doesn't always happen, but that's fun. Cause like, Oh, I can't. This dude's going to die, and I can't wait to write <laughs> that because yes. he's like, he might be only one person who's dying in the whole book. I can't wait to, because there's sometimes there's a whole book that I'm like, I don't know what this book is about, but I know this is going to happen at some point, and I can't wait to write that. Um, and yes. I got to just figure out how I get to that point. <laughs> oh my gosh, you just described the exact process I'm going through with my current work in progress. Yeah. And I'm like, I know what's going to happen, and I can't wait to write it. I, I haven't figured out how I'm getting there yet, 
So I started writing another book. And then I'm yeah. like, what oh. am I doing now? <laughs> yeah, that I can't do. I'm very linear in turn. I, I, I've never one done project that at a time. Oh yeah, and that I'm would be hard like, for me. What am I doing? So then I'm, I know I have to be, you know, spending some time figuring out how to get to the really cool part in my book. And what's you know what I love is being organic about it, and which is almost inevitable if you're a pantser, but. You know, people spend their lives in chaos and and indecisiveness and the unknown, and that's how I write. Like my <laughs> characters, you know, who knows what's going to happen next? I have maybe I have an idea, but it might not be, um, and because that's how people exist in the world, and and it, I think it makes them more relatable. But it's it's a lot more fun for me to, you know, it's, my process is I'm constantly asking myself, what if? You know, I might get to a point in my what if I just killed this person? What would happen? Like, and I've done that before. I've killed off major characters on a complete whim and what? just written the scene and like, okay, now what? And then you start to realize like, oh, that makes it a lot more interesting. Or maybe you scrap it. Who knows? But that's resuscitate, bring them back. Right. My gosh. I feel like I'm gonna start doing that in like every book, just like anything. That freewheeling is so much fun. I'm gonna kill one person in this scene and then figure out what happens. Right. right. Well, okay, the follow-up question then is if you're freewheeling it and you get to the end, do you ever get there and go, okay, this didn't work? Or do you pretty much immediately know afterwards if you if you chewed the what if card and you go down a path that was not the right path, are you pretty quick to figure out this was not the alley I should have stumbled down drunk. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I, I, it'll be rare that I finish a book and feel like I just veered in the wrong direction halfway through. But, you know, I've had scenes where, you know, and that's what, you know, your readers, your, your beta readers are for and your agents for and your editors are, is for. They'll say like, you know, I need the great uh, example is the dead husband. You know, the original ending went on for about another 20 pages and my and my and my editor said, you know, this is why I, there's a follow up book. Like, my editor said, like, I think this is the emotional ending of this book, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, like, oh, I didn't have the perspective, having been inside this book for so long, to 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 know that, and it's so great to get that feedback and and to really chew on that and be like, oh yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, so yeah, I've I've definitely, but I think any every story of mine could have a multitude of endings. Um, many of which would work, many of which wouldn't. Um, and this just happens to be the one that I wrote. So I, 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 I kind of, you know, <laughs> that's, that, the that's, one you that's the one yeah, that, you that's how you choose your own adventure novel. That's right. I'd read that. I would read it. But you'll, you'll constantly beat yourself up for being like, oh yeah, that would have been a better ending. So no, just, this is, this is what you wrote and it could have been a million different things. Um, and you just kind of accept it and then you let it go. Well, and I know from my debut novel, I struck the epilogue because I decided there was going to be another book. So I've been there and I get that. Oh, oh, you know what? These couple paragraphs, we don't need them. Let's add 90,000 more words. (laughs) Why not? Yeah, that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Completely different book. And that sometimes that works. And sometimes, again, with that emotional resonance, like where do you want to leave the reader when they're done? And is that a good place? And will that make somebody hopefully pick up the next book, whether it's related to it or just going another book by that author? Yeah, and I know, and my, and I, a lot of times I have very ambiguous endings, which I'm personally a fan of, but they're not maybe ambiguous to me. But I'll know if I'm writing the ending and I actually feel emotional, like almost getting like choked up writing, I'm like, this is the ending. This is how it ends. And it might not be right, but this is, I'm, 
feeling this right now. And that's, that's important for me to experience. Um, and, and again, you know, selfishly, I'm not thinking of anyone else, but me, um, as I'm writing it because the story is for me and then hopefully it will resonate and, and certainly get better crafted and honed with, with other advice from agents and editors. Um, but if it's, if it doesn't make me happy, then I don't know what I'm doing. So you, you've written seven novels. You said your first three weren't published. Correct. Um, so, and you're, I think you're roughly in our age range. I'm 51. I just turned 51. Well, you look good. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting that roughly in, in my age range. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, we're in our forties. Got know, it. Women in our forties. Um, so I have to ask, like, what was your, what did you do before you became Carter Wilson? USA Today bestselling author. I still have another job. So I, I went to hotel school uh, and I've been in the hospitality industry for decades. Uh, and I'm, I'm a consultant, basically. So I, I, I do a lot of lecturing on the state of the hotel industry. Um, so a lot of public speaking and that kind of thing. Uh, and I love it because it's a, it's a wonderful industry. Um, hotels are amazing. I'm a huge hotel snob. So I have learned, you know, how do I write novels and, you know, have a job that gives me health insurance and, and all the other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, and you know, I've, I've worked very hard to make sure like, you know, the consistency is the key, right? So that's why I said like, maybe it's only 45 minutes or an hour a day, but if you do it every day, you'll get it done. Now I have to ask, I love traveling like pre COVID. I was mm -hmm. travel, travel bug, travel snob. Uh, can't wait to be traveling again. What is the best hotel you've ever stayed in and where? Ever, ever, ever. Ever, um, ever, ever. It probably, and this was also just because of um, I was with uh, uh, my partner and, and we went to Africa, South Africa, and we stayed at the uh, Leopard Mountain Lodge, which is all of maybe 10 rooms um, out in the middle of just the wilderness and, you know, where they escort you back to your room at night because of lions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like, don't alone kind of a thing. And we had a, yeah, we had an amazing, and it's, it's just a super luxury, beautiful canopied room. And yeah. Oh my gosh. I miss traveling. Yeah. Like, I know. Keep I... talking about that car. I just say it like slower. <laughs> travel porn. It is like <laughs> travel porn. Can you tell me about the sheets? <laughs> well, and, and I'm laughing because there are scenes of both hotels and then even almost, I wouldn't say it's an extraneous reference to a bed and breakfast in Dead Husband. And I was just going, I don't, I don't have any port. Now I kind of want to have port because the only time I've ever seen port in real life is at a bed and breakfast. That's, That's where like bed and breakfast are required to have port. But I don't know, is our bed and breakfast breakfasts considered part of the hospitality industry because they're often independently owned? I will, well, I will tell you that reference to the bed and breakfast was because when I was researching uh, Mr. Tinder's Girl, which I said in Manchester, I, that's, I stayed at the Ash Street Inn, which is a lovely B&B. Oh, my God. Have you been there? I know it. Yeah. <laughs> I was honestly thinking, I'm like, what bed and breakfast is this? So yeah. everybody, part of the dead husband uh, takes place in New Hampshire, which longtime viewers know that's where I live. Uh, Carter has said another book there as well. So I spent so much time trying to figure out where, <laughs> where everything was. And yeah. I, 
like at first I thought, I'm like, oh, I feel like he's writing about the BVI, the Bedford Village Inn. But then uh, I'm like, no, it's a bed and breakfast. That's too, that's too big. Yeah. Yeah. No, I became friends with the proprietors there who are lovely people and it's a wonderful place. And, and they made it into your book. I love it. Yeah. 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 So I no, wanted it was definitely to stay based on there. That. So now I just feel like I could do a staycation. Yep. Totally. That's a great state. place. Well, and that's sometimes what bed and breakfasts are best for because maybe you can only afford a night or two because they're usually a lot more expensive than comparable things because you're getting fed and there's company and you can't put a price tag on love. But that's still, right. it's it's not no, necessarily you to go for like a, a family <laughs> vacation. Yeah, it's it's usually a big one for for like three or four nights. But a perfect staycation. I know I've stayed. I don't know if you've ever been to the Doryman out in uh, Newport out here, mm-hmm. but gorgeous. Probably the nicest room I've ever stayed in, and it was mm. something that was gifted. There was no way that I was ever affording. I was back in law school at the time; I had no yeah. money. So, but again, bed and breakfasts, lovely things. Bed and breakfast. Yeah, I love lovely. to travel. I try to get out of the country once a year. I mean, last year, last year I didn't obviously, but um, and this yeah. year, unfortunately, I won't. But normally, once or twice a year, I'm I'm in some other country, and I just I just love it, love it. Yeah, we, my um, my husband and I, he's Russian. And his family had always ever, their dream for his whole life was they wanted him to go into the hotel industry. Mm. Um, he didn't. He became a professional ballroom <laughs> dancer. He didn't. Mm. As, as I did. Uh, two totally separate things. Two totally separate things. Uh, drastically different way of life. Uh, Both involve ballrooms. Both involve ballrooms. That's really True. the only commonality I'm coming up yeah. with. Uh, but we try pre-COVID. It was, we would do someplace out of the country once a year, someplace in the country once a year sometimes more than that if we could figure it out (laughs) well let's just expand your worldview right and 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 all of that you know getting back to the subject of writing that all kind of feeds into it like you have just an appreciation and, and a greater degree of empathy as a human the more time you spend on the road for sure despite all the frustrations and whatever you see different points of view and that is so i think empathy is probably the most important tool that an author can have. And and if you don't have it naturally, I don't think, I honestly don't think you're going to be a great writer. <laughs> no, I think I you think. have to really have empathy to, to be first person, present tense, opposite sex point of view. You know, like how do you do that unless you have some degree of empathy and understand like, you know, the human condition. Um, Says the man who wrote a wonderful leading lady. And <laughs> I, I want to actually, I'm pointing that out only because about three quarters of the way through it occurred to me, I can't remember the last time I read a main main character that was the opposite sex of the author so well that I went, I forgot that it wasn't the same, same, because no, usually you see you. women write women. I mean, sometimes it's both. So I know sure. in uh, Dead Girl in Two Way, you have one of each, but right. having, having it be primarily female led, not that there weren't male main characters in, in Dead Husband as well, but the emotional core is really Rose. So you did yeah. so well. Well, thank you. Yeah, I first started doing that with the, with my yeah, third the, book. You know, I, I I started getting the feedback like what I always hated was when somebody would say, "Who somebody who I know would say, like, oh man, this I could totally see you in this character. It totally sounded like you,' and, I, and that drove me crazy because I didn't yeah. want that. Yeah. And so with my third book, I I wrote it from a female perspective, and I fell in love with it. I just loved it. like, and it wasn't this is going to sound usually pretentious, but it wasn't a huge challenge because I, I, what I tried not to do was overthink it. You know, I tried not to like, what would a woman do? What would a man do? (laughs) We're just people. We're still human. What does a person do who's faced with this 
pretty yes. horrible situation. How does this human being react? And I'm not saying there aren't differences, but generally speaking, I think it's easy to overthink. And if you don't overthink it, then you can envelop that character. Um, and so, you know, Mr. Tinder's girl was all first person present tense from a 28 year old female. And then, uh, which that. you have probably never been. I not, not recently, not <laughs> recently, not in this lifetime. Well, uh, and I was, I was going to say, and I apologize. I was trying not to talk over you there. I just wanted to say, I'm glad I'm not going to see any snippets from dead husband or dead girl in those Twitter threads where it's like men writing women badly. No. Because I've seen those a lot. And the only reason I was even bringing it up was because I have seen that. And I have seen someone try to step out of their comfort zone and they leave that empathy behind. They leave that humanity behind. You never did that. So. Well, thank you. And yeah, and yeah, and for sure you're never, as, as you both know, I'm sure you're never going to please everybody. And, and, no. you know, if, if you please 65%, you're doing a pretty good That's job. That's really good. So there are definitely people who are, you know, you'll get feedback that, you know, oh, this wasn't believable, this and that. But, you know, it's rare. I don't get so much of that in terms of the the, the voice. You know, I'll get more like the plot was unbelievable or whatever it is. Well, I'm like, yeah, I totally. Mean, but it was fun as hell. Hopefully it should be. <laughs> like, really? I hope this didn't happen. Yeah. Right. Um, Next year, somebody dead girl is autobiographical. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like. I loved that you wrote from a female point of view. Um, I have written a few books from the male point of view, and I again from a very human experience. I didn't write about the male experience, air quotes. I just wrote from a male's point of view, and I found it like really freeing. Yeah. But but then totally. I remember when I first started doing interviews, uh, I would have people ask me the question like. Like, wh well, what made you think you could write from a male's point of view? Like, mm. did you do research? My I'm imagination? Like, <laughs> I'm like, my imagination? I was like, I'm nothing. just trying to picture the research. What research? <laughs> How does a, you know, like. I stalked a man for a day just to see I, what it was like. Yeah, just like, like, what does he, what does he do? I kept oh him in my gosh. basement. Yeah. I kept him in, yeah. I kidnapped a man. He's still yeah. there now. You guys um, are married now. It's a very sweet story. I was going to say, and now we're married. <laughs> now we're married. And that is my husband. We have a dog. His name is Roman. Yeah. <laughs> well, He's listen, you, you know, if you read a book or in my case, all the times I'll watch a, a, a show, a streaming show, and I'll be like, why is this person so fascinating? What is it about this person that, you know, regardless of their gender, and and you absorb that stuff same thing when you're reading like you know you're not you're just like why is this, this protagonist so interesting and if you can absorb that and again going back to the empathy kind of be able to live in their shoes a little bit it's not terribly hard but you know then my agent's a woman and my editor's a woman so i have and my you know my, my partner's a woman who is the first one who reads my complete manuscript so i have no no shortages of of great sources of feedback you know i so, gotta be on there so they're not yeah. gonna let you get away with something where we go that's not how that works anatomically that's impossible start over <laughs> i feel like a lot of those men writing women badly things uh involve like the the romance genre a lot oh, like yeah like see i wouldn't do that, that yeah. you're like that's not how our body works i i <laughs> very rarely write sex scenes i i sex violence profanity all of that i <laughs> i love all of it right <laughs> it all has to be treated delicately and with respect and it has to serve the story and so you know i it, when it happens it has to have meaning and it has to be impactful. And because maybe you don't do it a lot, when it does happen, you're like, oh, 
this is this is something um and so yeah it's very rare that i i certainly sex scenes i mean i've, I've done a few but they they were they were hugely important to the story it wasn't just like oh i need these characters to fall in love like no they need to have sex because this has major consequences if yes. they do um <laughs> that's important um so you know and it's uh, totally the same with violence like gratuitous violence is the most boring thing i can think of um so you know when it happens and i want it to be real so you know you get shot in the leg you're not running away <laughs> you get that's punched true. in the face you're yeah. not thinking straight yeah um so it's very important say, that it's accurate. Yeah, like I, I don't want to say spoilery things, but there are a couple violent moments in The Dead Husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved the way you handled not only, I'd say like weirdly the awkwardness of, of violence. Mm-hmm. Of like, of a, That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's not, it's not a film where everything is choreographed and people know what's happening. Half the and time you can't just like, cut away. Oh. There's like, there's, there's something on the floor you got to deal with, <laughs> you know, there's a reality. Yes. <laughs> Gosh. Well, and I was, I was going to say, even when you said the awkwardness, again, I don't want to do a spoiler, but even physiological reactions for other people witnessing something so horrific. And a lot of times we just don't even go there or think about it because, you know, the camera is focused on the person who's bleeding out or got shot or whatever, but that's not something you can just witness and be like, Mm-hmm, sure. Moving on. Turn the page. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I want it to be uncomfortable. You know, yeah. I don't want, I don't want to dwell on it, but there, I read a great book once. I think it was called writing violence and it was written by a guy who used to be a prison guard. And he's like, this is, this is what, this is what happens when fights happen. This is what happens with adrenaline. This, yeah. And you read that, you're like, Oh, that's really fascinating. This is what the human body is capable of withstanding and not withstanding. Um, so it's important to me that that's at least realistic. Um, well, and I'm glad he did that research for you. So you didn't have to go through all these things that's yourself. Right. That's that right. would, that would not have been pleasant. As far as you know, really <laughs> write and have empathy. I need Some to be shot. New Hampshire underground <laughs> fight club. That's really why Carter <laughs> came to New Hampshire. That's he was right. like, he just like went to a bed and breakfast, but in their basement, he's like, punch me in the face like a thousand times and let me figure out how I'm feeling. That's empathically I was because empathy is such a big theme in some of your works and whether people have it or not and how people might respond to other things around them because of their empathy and even you say you need it to be a writer I, we all need it just to be humans and not sociopaths so right. it's good if we have that and if you can expand on it to write more power to you right right no i agree but it's also really interesting that there are people who don't have it because that makes us as writers have characters that we can develop and just like discover like oh that is what a person is without a soul a soul (laughs) totally an an emotional well and that was kind of the challenge i ended up posing myself with the dead husband is like well what if you have one of each and their sisters and they came from the same background and you know same genetic pool, but yet they're although that totally was ambiguous. You raised a little bit of a question about some of that. Yeah, I did. Maybe that was sure. supposed to be ambiguous. Yeah, yeah, it is a little bit because I don't know if I know what the <laughs> like, that is. That happens. Yeah. We will lose Jen sometimes. She'll be back in half a second. Her phone likes to do this with the Streamyard. Doesn't like her phone. So that's that's the New Hampshire connection. It's the New Hampshire. Like New Hampshire says, we've had enough of you and. Then see, she comes back. She is back. You remember what I said about our cell phone service? Yeah. There it is. Yeah. We're back. 
but I, I just was, I was just going to say just the fact that you have these characters who are drawn from the same upbringing and then can be so very different. And I know, like I said, I was reading one book and Jen was reading the other. And she said, you have to see this, at least the beginning. If you can't read the rest, that's fine. She said, cause of sisters, cause she is an only child. She knows I have a sister. My sister really is nothing like the sisters in the book. Your but- sister's not as sociopath <laughs> that you know for the record it's not the, i'm like <laughs> she is not uh, you always just, tell me that i remind you of her. i know that's, that's why i'm very defensive you're like your sister's not a sociopath i keep her mind but to have that that to have that where you can come from the same background and go but why are we so different we went through the same experiences wait did something different happen to you that kind of thing and then that ability to look back and i know my sister and i do that as adults and go back and talk about things that happened as children with those eyes of adulthood and then go okay how did that shape us and did we really even have the same upbringing even in the same house yeah, I mean, definitely a thread throughout my books, and you'll see this with Dead Girl and 2A as well, is like I'm very intrigued by what the quote-unquote villain's motivations are. And I don't like... I don't like the whole idea of villain for villain's sake. You know, that's 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 uninteresting to me. I love the idea that all of us, regardless of what our end result actions are, are believing we're, we're acting true to our nature. And, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing to us. Uh, so, and that might result in horrific crimes being committed, but I don't like the idea of like, I commit crimes because I'm snidely whiplash and I'm just inherently evil. And I, it's fun. <laughs> Put on the mustache, yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah, not interesting that. to me. I, I want somebody who's struggling with their, with, with maybe they know that it's not right, but they're, they're, you know, that's their behavior. Uh, I, I love that struggle. I think struggle is the most important thing in, in writing to me is that you know, everyone has to be struggling a lot and some might overcome it. Some may not. So that's, that's what's, what's interesting to me at least. I feel like you just said like the, the, the anthem to all people who write darker fiction, uh, Alison writes romance, but she also writes speculative literary fiction. So she's I'm a not usually that I'm not usually that dark, but I mean, yeah, like uh, the, the fact that you just said like they, they have to be struggling all the time. I feel like is like, that is how I plan my books. I just come up with an idea and I'm like, how do I make these people suffer and struggle for 90,000 words? And then yeah. maybe learn something and things happen on, on the way. But I'm going to say struggle has to happen in all kinds of fiction or it's boring. So even if you're writing romance, if there's no struggle, if the only struggle is, we don't know how to communicate, ooh, miscommunication, that is a dull book, and I don't want to read it, and I've read that five times. And it's, it's, it's always interesting getting feedback from readers. Because I don't set out with any book to say, I'm going to make this, you know, dark and depressing. That's (laughs) not my intention. My intention is like, you know, I want to find interesting characters and throw some things at them and see how they figure it out. I want to see, because in my mind is like that, what would I do in this situation? Uh, I recently had a reader tell me like, like are all your books just so sad? And I'm like, Oh, I don't see them as sad as all. They're hopeful to me. So everyone's got a different perspective. Right. And and you might write something that's like, you know, this part's a little bit dark. That might be horrifying to some people and other people are like, Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't much. Um, but to me, it's about the struggle because I think struggle is interesting. I think tension is interesting. Um, and that doesn't mean it has to be, you know, bad and not, you know, I'm not setting out to just do 
things to people that make their <laughs> lives miserable. But I just want to see like, how are you going to get out of this? I think that it's, it's fun for me to, to see people, you know, use their own brains to puzzle solve their own predicaments. And also just like emotional, emotionally figure out how to wake up the next morning. I feel like that's like, it's such a, a crazy thing that we as writers can do is, you know, make our characters deal with things that we've never had to deal with, but they have to keep going. Right. And it's cathartic, right? Because I know there's, there's situations that I write about that I'm like, I would, I would be crippled by this. Yeah. I know I would. So it's, it's nice to experience like somebody who, you know, isn't a superhero by any means, but figures out like, I need to bring closure to this situation. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to go through some serious shit to do it. And, and I like to live through them for a little bit to see like, wow, good for you because I would be a wreck. <laughs> so it's, yeah, that's, I, it's, I felt that's like important. that about several of your characters mm-hmm. and the dead <laughs> husband. I was like, whoa, at that moment in time, I would have just like drank an entire bottle of vodka and been like, yeah. oh, okay. Totally. Totally. Well, no, no spoilers. I, I already told Jen what it was earlier, but there's, yeah. there's a scene in Dead Husband where I'm like, that could have happened in my life because there were enough similarities going like, and thank God it didn't, but yeah. uh, it kind uh, of halfway through a shocker scene that, well, well. Yeah. And I think I know the scene you're talking about. And that's a good, that's a good example of like, I didn't know that that was going to happen until that day that, that, that I was that. writing that. And I, and it just hit me. I'm like, what if this happened? And I yeah. wrote it and I actually cried. And I'm like, this is, this I'm is. I'm glad you cried. <laughs> I wanted you to feel that. <laughs> I'm so mean. I'm glad you cried, Carl. But it actually was so, after writing that, it unveiled to me like, oh, there's a parallel life here between these two characters that I never saw mm-hmm. as clearly until this happened. And now, so it, it was ultimately important. You kind of hope as a writer, your subconscious is kind of working, uh, you know, over time and eventually is going to keep up, catch up with what your, your typing of the words. So, well, and I just, I told Jen afterwards, I said, I now understand the title and it isn't what I thought it was because that's where I understood the title when mm. that happened. I won't yeah. say more because I want people to read it, but that's, that's where I got it. And I went, all right, it does make sense. Just doesn't make sense in the way. I thought it did in those, you know, the girl peeking behind the door with the bright yellow letters and right, right. whatever. But he's going, Ooh, dead husband. We like dead things. Pick up a book. <laughs> <laughs> and we hate husbands. So <laughs> we do. We, Let's buy you it. know, it's, it's <laughs> when I, when I go and do hashtags and go dead husband, it is, it is a common thing. I think dead husbands are very popular. So very smart to capitalize <laughs> on that trend. <laughs> And I feel like kudos to my publisher. My poor husband, when he's like, "What are you reading this week?" I'm like, "Dead Husband," and he's like, "Oh gosh, like should I be worried?" I'm like, "It's not a how-to manual. It could be. be. We want the one I'm publishing, (laughs) not this one, and all the dead people." Uh, Um, I hate to say this, but we are out of time. Carter, you have been fantastic. Thank you for being here and having a cocktail with us. Well, I love chatting with you guys. It's always fun to talk about writing and the industry and perspectives and and empathy. So cheers to empathy. I know. Thank you for bringing up empathy. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Allison, of course. Thank you, Roman, (laughs) our producer. Thank you, Pam Stack, our executive producer. Thank you to everybody at the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. I'm going to massacre her name. 
Uh, but next week we have the author of A Low Country Bride, Priscilla, totally massacred it, Williams. We will get it right by next week. I'll get it right. I will get it right. Uh, so please stay tuned for that. Um, again, thank you, everybody. This has been a copywritten podcast on the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. See you next week. Take care.